Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And uh, Father, we ask that you uh, reveal to us very well the ministry of angels today. And uh, we praise you and we thank you for it, Lord. We know it's going to be a a blessing. Okay, we're going to go with uh, ministering angels through UBM number 10. And this first uh, thing I'm going to share is uh, Terry McGinley's revelation. She, we called it Victory to Get the Respect the Angels Teaching Transcribed. She said this was a very interesting teaching, and I feel very, very blessed to be able to transcribe these as I learn so much while I'm doing it. Um, she said, P.S., when I first set out to start this transcription, my computer just wouldn't turn on. Uh, It was plugged in, and I couldn't find anything that was disconnected. I checked my breaker box and everything, and it was only, only the computer. And I texted my husband, the computer expert, but he was busy. And then I remembered that I have authority over this stuff, so I commanded it to work in Jesus' name, And it came on, and it has been working just fine ever since. Praise the Lord. Well, amen. You know, the devil has really been warring against these messages of the angels in this Ministering Angels through UBM series, but he's failing. And um, I hope everyone listening has their Bibles handy um, for this study because you're going to need them. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about angels. Amen. I'd like to begin by looking at 2 Samuel 24 and 15. This is an impressive revelation about angels. So many people see angels as a little bit more than robots. And as you, unless you look at uh, a lot of verses about them and the Lord helps you to straighten it all out in your mind, you won't get much understanding of them. Uh, the traditions are wrong. But I'm uh, beginning to realize how great they are in how much they do and how they have the nature of the Lord and they represent Him to us. They do many, many things that are done in the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Second Samuel 24 and 15, the Lord sent to a sent a pestilence upon Israel because he was angry with Israel, and he moved David, who was a good king, to do something wrong and to go number Israel. Sounds strange, doesn't it? But God is sovereign. And um, God was angry with Israel, so he moved David to number them. And you may 
ask, what's so bad about that? Well, God doesn't want us to count on our own strength. That's a dangerous thing if you want the power of God or need the power of God, because in our weakness, He's going to be strong. And if we count on our strengths, we're going to fail. Uh, you're not going to get the power of the Lord. It makes God angry. It, it did in this case so that the Lord sent a pestilence because of David's mistake. Second Samuel 24, 15-17 in context. From the morning even unto the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. And when the angel stretched out his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Now stay thy hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the point I'd like to make. The Lord is speaking to the angel of the Lord. And he said, that's enough. Now, why did God need an angel if God himself was there? Why did he need an angel to strike these 70,000 men of David? Have you ever thought about that? Hmm. He could have done it himself, right? Well, God uses vessels. Uh, rich and important men could do things themselves, but they choose to have servants to do those things to give them more time for other things mostly. But God's Spirit uses vessels to do things quite often. And in this case, it is what he did, and he stopped the angel when enough was enough. And the angel stopped. The same instance is recorded in First Chronicles 21, 15 and 16. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was about to destroy, the Lord beheld and he repented him of the evil and said to the destroying angel, It is enough. Now stay thy hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between the earth and heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. And in verse 27, uh, And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. So, in this instance, it's even more plain that the Lord was speaking to the angel of the Lord and that they're not one and the same as many think. Many think the angel of the Lord is the Lord, but he's not. And this is important because in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord does so many fantastic miracles appears at really important times in the history of Israel and saves Israel, relieves Israel, and everybody thinks that the Lord, that's the Lord. And, and if you really want to study and know the nature of the angels, you have to look and see what they do. 
And uh, what I'm discovering is that these angels are being used of the Lord, and they must be greater than what we thought of angels. Mm -hmm. They are created beings. Um, They're not born. They're created. And even though men uh, were made a little lower than the angels, as they mature into sons of God and speak God's word, they are over the angels and ultimately a higher creation than the angels. Hebrews 2, 6 through 9 says, But one has somewhere testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. And I would say, including the angels, right? God's hands created the angels. Okay, verse 8. Thou didst put all things in subjection under his feet. This is true. For in that he subjected all things unto him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But we see not yet all things subject to him. That is, because man has not come into sonship, manifested that sonship yet. Because Jesus said, I do always those things that I see of my Father, right? And so he could be trusted with power, because he only did the will of the Father. Verse 9, But we behold him who hath been made a little lower than the angels, even Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he should taste of death for every man. And as you'll see from this next verse, uh, we, we will judge the angels. 1 Corinthians 6 and 3, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life. Amen. So he's talking about the fallen angels, of course. The angels who didn't fall don't need judging. They do what is right. I've heard people say that we command the angels. And this is not really true, and I'll explain that. They only listen to the Word of God. Uh, if any of you read Pastor Roland Buck's book, uh, Angels on Assignment, he said the same thing. And uh, he asked the uh, question of the angels, do you, do you do what we command? And the angels told him that they only obey the voice of God. But how does that work? That's very interesting. When we speak in agreement with the Lord and we confess him before men, the angels move on that because when we're speaking in agreement with the Lord, we're speaking the word of the Lord. And Jesus said, if you confess him before men, he will confess us in two ways, before my Father in heaven and before the angels. So he said that both ways in Matthew 10 and Luke 12 and Revelation 3, 5. He said in Revelation 3, 5, He that overcometh shall thus be arrayed in white garments, and I will in no wise blot his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. 
in Matthew 10 and 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And Luke 12 and, 10, and 8. Uh, and I say unto you, Everyone who shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. So, what happens here? Um, well, when you speak in agreement with the Word of God, Jesus is our high priest who offers an, the offering of our confession. Hebrews says he's the high priest of our confession. Confession means to speak the same as, so we, we are agreeing with God. We're speaking His words, you see. He offers this before the Father, whose Holy Spirit is the one who guides the angels and who directs the angels and tells them to move on our behalf. And we think this must be a long, drawn-out affair, but it can happen in the, an instant, in a moment. When we speak in agreement with the Word of God, we lose the angels in a roundabout, we loose the angels, I should say, in a roundabout way going through the Father and through the Son. We release the angels to administer salvation in our circumstances. And when we speak in disagreement with the Word of God, and we don't confess Him or speak the same as Him before men, uh, we're releasing the devil in our circumstances. And all of that goes in a roundabout way, too, but it only takes a second, I should say, or something thereof. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is here. He's in God. And He monitors everything in all of God's creation. And He can manifest it in a moment of time. Someone had a dream about beams of light that came out of heaven to each individual believer. And I believe that this symbolizes the Holy Spirit ministering through the angels to each individual believer. I remember uh, Pastor Buck asking an angel, when we call for help, do you come? <laughs> and the angel said, if we waited until you called, it would be too late. Well, it is so true because we don't find out something's happening until those demons are upon us and have done their dirty work, right? And we only go know and go by what we see and what we hear. The angels don't dwell in time. They are able to be there when you get there. Yeah. The angels are there to protect us because we believe in Christ and because we are in covenant with God, and because we're delivered from the curse. They are there to protect, to deliver, and to administer salvation in every circumstance. Now, let's look at another verse in uh, 1 Kings 19 and 5, in which Elijah was led to Horeb. And he lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And verse 7 says, And the angel of the Lord came again the second time. Well, notice that. An angel touched him. And now, and the angel of the Lord came a second time. So here's an instance where it says, An angel. Not any particular angel, just an angel. 
And then he says that the angel of the Lord came a second time, meaning the angel of the Lord is not a title for a certain angel. It's just an angel. Uh, in the Old Testament, angel is translated from melach, which means messenger. And in the New Testament, angelos, which means messenger. And if it would have been translated as the messenger of the Lord, because that is a, a, a true translation of this, we could have understood it even better. Many people have thought of the angel of the Lord as a title for a certain angel. And some people even believe it's the Lord himself. Well, neither of those are true. In this case, he's showing that an angel is an angel of the Lord. Notice, he said, Behold, an angel touched him, and then the angel of the Lord came a second time, meaning that angel, just plain angel, was the angel of the Lord. He was the messenger of the Lord. Now, let's turn over to Second Kings uh, 19 and 35. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. So, when you think about one angel doing that to uh, 185,000 men, or one angel closing the mouths of the lions for Daniel, or the angels pushing down the walls of Jericho, you realize that one angel is very powerful. And um, Daniel said that the Lord sent his angel and closed the mouths of the lions. These are the same lines that ate up all the people in the rebels' families before they could even fall to the bottom of the pit. These lions broke their bones in pieces. This one angel shut the mouths of them all. And this one angel in Second Kings 19 and 35 killed 185,000 men. It says right here, the angel of the Lord. But if you look at the same instance in Second Chronicles 32 and 21, the Lord sent an angel who cut off the mighty men of valor and the leaders and captains. That was the 185,000 men right there. In one place it calls it an angel, another place it calls it the angel of the Lord. So let's look at another aspect of these angels, uh, like in Genesis 48. What I wanted to point out in the verse we just looked at was that an angel, any angel that is sent to you is an angel of the Lord or a messenger of the Lord. Israel was blessing the sons of Joseph in Genesis 48 and 16, where it says, The angel who hath remembered redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. He redeemed me from all evil? Wow. He was there all the time, taking care of business. Isn't that an amazing statement? The angel who hath redeemed me from all evil? Have you ever thought that it was an angel with you that redeemed you from all evil because of your faith in the blood of the Lamb? 
Well, if they are the ones according to Hebrews 1 and 14 who administer salvation, that means deliverance or healing or whatever it is that delivers you from the curse. That is what the Greek word soteria means, which is deliverance from the curse. That's what it means. Our angel administers all of that for us. And I tell you, after I started doing this study, I thought, I sure would like to meet my angel. <laughs> yeah, well, I have. Uh, I'd like to uh, shake his hand, which I haven't. Uh, but angels don't receive our thanks. They always want all of our thanks to go to the Father, you see. And uh, they're uncomfortable with receiving our thanks. Well, I'd like to point something else out. Uh, Jesus is the way. He is that ladder that goes up to heaven. He said in John 1 and 51, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you shall see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Hmm, like he was a ladder, right? And their ministry to us is made possible by the Lord. And when you agree with the Lord, they are released to minister unto us. But here it says in 48 and 16, The angel who hath redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them. That's powerful. Although the scriptures, the angels get credit for doing the mighty works of God. Now, let's look at Numbers 20 and 14. And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us, and how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians dealt ill with us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. He sent an angel and brought them forth. So the Lord sent an angel and brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Notice it says, just an angel. You would think that's a pretty uh, good undertaking to lead the children of out of Egypt, but he sent an angel. It makes you respect those angels. Everybody thinks that the Lord did it. Well, the Lord did do it, but I'm going to explain this. We're not denying that the Lord did it, but by what vessel did he do it? By just Moses? Because Moses was just a vessel. He chose him. He was a weak vessel. Admitted so, you know. But it wasn't the only vessel. No, by Moses and an angel. God uses vessels to do what he does. And in this case, he chose to do it through an angel. Another instance is Psalm 91, 11 and 12. For he will give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. 
They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Well, isn't that amazing? How many times have we been protected by angels and didn't know it? I know uh, I have. I, I led a pretty dangerous life early on, but um, I grew, outgrew it, thank God. And uh, But I was protected. I realized afterwards, because I wasn't saved then, that I had been protected by angels. I think I was translated out of a car. I, in fact, more than think it, I know it, uh, before I was even saved. We couldn't figure out how in the world that could happen. I had to have uh, been dematerialized, going right through the middle of a car. I never figured it out until I got saved. And if you read the rest of this chapter in Psalm 91, you see amazing promises. He will deliver me from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence, and thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. So I've seen YouTube videos of angels translating people out of the way of oncoming vehicles at the very moment the vehicle was hitting them. An angel grabbed them, and moved them, and uh, it was caught on video, and others have been caught on video, too. It's pretty amazing. You know, they don't dwell in time. Therefore, they can manipulate time any way they want to. So I'm going to leave a link here so you can look at this, but you can go beyond this link, of course, to others. How, how does all of this come to pass? Well, Psalm 91, 10 through 12 says, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy tent. For he will give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Well, people think this was spoken only about Jesus because it was quoted by Jesus in the New Testament. But it's talking about any believer. It's talking about how the angels redeem us from such circumstances. It's the angels that are there that listen to the word of God. And if you speak faith, you release them or others who are believing for our security, right? Uh, I remember a testimony of my friend Bolivar and his wife. They were on a narrow mountainside road. It was very narrow. The The mountain went from the side of the road straight down. And um, their vehicle began to slip off the edge of the road. And it was an angel that picked the car back up and put it back on the road. They witnessed to this after they came back um, to the States. And the thing was, we had a sister in the meeting who saw it in a dream and laughed. <laughs> so we asked her what she was laughing about. She said she saw the face of uh, uh, Bolivar and his wife. And uh, what happened was the car was about to fall off the cliff, and it was put back on the road. So we knew it 
before they brought it to us. <clears throat> well, it says in Psalm 34 and 7, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and that is the Lord, and delivereth them. So the angel of the Lord encamps around about those that fear the Lord. So that's a messenger of the Lord that camps around about them that fear him. All of God's people who fear him are encamped about by the angel of the Lord. So it's not one angel, as many people have thought. That keeps them pretty busy, if it is, right? So that would lead you to believe that there is more than just one angel of the Lord. And those that fear the Lord are protected by the angel of the Lord. He protects them, and he delivers them, and he fights their enemies for them. Speaking of the enemies of God's people, it says in Psalm 35, 5-6, Let them be as chaff before the wind, and as the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery, and the angel of the Lord pursuing them. So your angel, who is an angel of the Lord or messenger of the Lord, can drive your enemies away. And notice that everyone has access to the angel of the Lord. So there are many. The angel of the Lord fights against our enemies for us. He can even smite our enemies unto death, like the 185,000 men. We've been told by the Lord that some of the faction are going to die because they factioned against us. So, in this study, I was really impressed with the importance of angels and the respect that we should have for them. And I notice a lot of the prosperity people don't seem to have respect for the angels the way they order them around to go do this and go do that, never mind the will of God. It won't work. But hey, that's like ordering the Lord around. The angels have the nature, the character, and the authority of the Lord. It's just like having the Lord standing there beside you in an angel. But this angel will not act against the will of God. Just like Jesus spoke about himself in the Father and us in the Father. Matthew twenty-five forty. 40. Uh, Whatsoever you have done to the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Oh, because God lives in us, you see. And he lives in those angels, too. And Matthew 10 and 40 says, He that receives you receives me. And Jesus said, And he who receives me receives him that sent me. Whoa, okay. So, we see the uh, omnipotence and the omnipresence of God. Okay? In other words, in the receiving of angels and their messages, you're receiving God. And when you're hearing what the angel says, you are hearing what God says. And in respecting him, you respect God. And what he says is the word of the Lord, just as any other word of the Lord. You know, in reading these verses, you come to see the realization that the angels are doing an awful lot. And even though we may not see them, 
They are doing an awful lot around us and are preparing this world according to God's plan. They're changing circumstances around us. They're blessing us, redeeming us in circumstances, and bringing salvation to us in circumstances. It's not that you have to address them. You may just pray to the Lord, but they are His vessels to carry it out. Once the Lord uh, said to me, Send the angels. And I said, Send the angels to do what, Lord? And then I just closed my eyes and flipped my Bible open and stuck my finger down on David. That's where I put my finger. David, do all that is in thy heart, for God is with thee. Okay, so when God prepares your heart, he gives you a renewed heart and he is with you, uh, you can command the angels. And that's from First Chronicles uh, 17 and 2. And I put my finger down on David, and then I read on the rest of it. I looked right at David where my finger was. David, do all that is in thy heart, for God is with thee. So how can God be with you? Well, we get the renewed mind of God when we let the Word of God live in our hearts. And we act upon it. And also, a way that God has perfected communication with each individual believer, besides the Holy Spirit, is through His angels. Because the Holy Spirit moves through them, too. And sometimes the angels speak to us in the name of the Lord, and we say, the Lord spoke to me, which is still correct. A question that the lady asked the Lord who had that dream about the uh, light shafts coming down from heaven was, how do you have such perfect communication and know what's going on with all the individual believers? And the Lord showed her those shafts of light that came from the Lord down to earth. And I think that that's our angels. That's our ministering spirits that speak to us for God and that minister unto us for God, and that save us in circumstances, and that go out and do the things that we speak in the name of the Lord. And I'm convinced that they do uh, the healing when you speak in the name of the Lord, like be healed in the name of Jesus, right? They do that. They bring it to pass. Uh, the only thing they want to recognize is, is this the word of the Lord, and do you have faith to do this? Right. So when you cast out demons, they are the authority behind those demons being cast out, and so on and so forth. And in Revelation chapter 12, God's angels cast down the devil's angels, but they took their authority from the confession of the saints. Read it, Revelation 12, 7 through 11. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels going forth to war with the dragon, and the dragon warred and his angels. And they prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast down, the old serpent, he that is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was cast down to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. And I heard a great voice in heaven saying, Now is come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God 
and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accuseth them before our God day and night. And they overcame him. Well, we just saw that the angels did that. But it says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life even unto death. So, they overcame him because they lived under the blood and because they spoke the word in agreement with God. So I think the Lord used an angel to dematerialize me out of that car before I knew the Lord when I got in that wreck. I was going so fast that I hit another car. This other car was coming across the three lanes on my side of the road headed towards the neutral ground, and then there was three lanes on the other side of the road. So it didn't make it to, it ran across in front of us and didn't make it to the neutral ground before I caught it. <laughs> but um, uh, I hit the left side of the car, veering to the right, trying to miss this car, uh, which was heading towards the neutral ground. He pulled out right in the middle of traffic, you know. Uh so from the front to the back, I got thrown out. Notice that my car hit the back end of his car, and it wiped down the side of my car and closed the door. But I was thrown out. How? Well, between the time the car uh, scraped by the door, in just a fraction of a second, I was doing over 60 miles an hour. In just a fraction of a second, it wiped by the door. The door was closed. And I was out of the car. My friend in the car said, I felt myself sliding across the front seat and hitting you, and then you were gone. Let me say, when things happen that fast, uh, you don't see what happens. My car continued going forward and slid sideways, and it was it was somewhat narrower than it had been because not only did I hit this other car with my left side and it scraped down my left side, but also another car coming behind me was seeking to avoid me and it went down my right side. <laughs> so my car was considerably narrower. Although the glass was still in there, it was shattered. Nobody went through the glass. Nobody went through the door in a fraction of a second but I found myself out laying on the street, sliding up to the door of my car. The elbows of my jacket were ripped off from sliding down the concrete <laughs> on my back, but I wasn't scratched in any way. Figure that out. How far can you slide down a concrete highway and not get scratched? <laughs> So a man that was looking out of the burger place on the, you know, side of the road saw me going by and said to me, I thought you were riding in a go-kart. He said that my hands were still in the position of holding a steering wheel. But when I got up and looked at the car, there's no way I could have gotten out of that door or out of those windows. 
or out of the rear window or the front window. <laughs> and my friend agreed there just wasn't any way. We looked the car over. In all that time, uh, I was a lost man, and I didn't know how this could have happened. And it wasn't until later that my friend in the car, who was later used to bring me to the Lord, said, God is how you got out of that car. And I thought about it, and I said, yep. That's how I got out of that car. <laughs> he said, there's no way you were thrown out of that car. You would have been cut in two, at the very least, if you had been thrown through the door, because the door was jammed closed by the other car. Remember, it's the, it's the distance between the front of my car and the door that this other car was swiping by at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> you know? So, it mashed by it and sealed it. It was amazing to me, but somehow the Lord got me out of that car and protected me so that he could save me and use my life for his kingdom. And I think I was the original Duke of Hazard because I did a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, most of it was more successful than that. But but if the, the devil were permitted there would not be any of us alive. God's angels are ministering spirits, and they are stronger than the devil. Even for us, before we know the Lord, they still know where we're going. They don't dwell in time, and God doesn't dwell in time either. They know where we're going, and they're going to make sure we get there. So it doesn't make any difference because it's ultimately God who does it, right? And when we are ministering healing, we command it because that's the only example we have in the Scriptures when you're ministering it, not when you're receiving it for yourself, but when you're ministering it to others. And because Jesus paid the penalty, and it's an established fact that he has taken away the curse so that we can command healing. Uh, but the way God carries it out is his business. And I had uh, a lady testify to me how that she was in a wreck and she was talking about how the car went this way and that way and how the Lord really gave her peace. And she asked me, uh, do you suppose an angel ministered to me this peace and saved my car in the circumstance? I told you about when I was thrown out. Over, I was on my motorcycle and I hit a car and I was thrown on top of an overpass. When I hit the ground, I had such peace on me. Uh, I was There was praise just flowing out of my mouth. <laughs> it was supernatural. And I said, well, probably the Holy Spirit gave you peace from within and the angel from without. <laughs> because the Lord uh, from within can give you peace and an angel from without can save you. So God's got us really surrounded. And God has a, a ministering spirit there that perfectly represents Him as an extension of Him. God moves through His Holy Spirit to change circumstances, and He can move through our own heart to move things and change circumstances. The Holy Spirit within a person has the power to heal that person. And the angels have this power too. 
just as we read in places where angels made the people sick with the plague, they also healed. The angels manifest the gifts in circumstances. We know it's the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that gives the gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 14 and 12, it says, So also ye, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, notice that it says in the original language, you are zealous of spirits. That's right. What spirits is he talking about? He's talking about angels because they administer the gifts. The angels spoke through prophets with the voice of the Lord. And, of course, people say that's the Lord speaking. And it is. But he's using a vessel, right? Well, there are no manuscripts that said uh, what the they translated it which you are zealous of spiritual gifts. They don't say that. All of them seem to point to the fact that there is a numeric pattern in the numeric Bible, for instance, uh, zealous for spirits. In fact, uh, mine's got a Greek note here that says spirits, not spiritual gifts. So, and it's a Greek note. That's what it says. So we go back to 1 Corinthians 14 and 12. Seek that you may abound unto the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. So I think that angels can manifest different gifts for us because I have prayed over people that weren't filled with the Holy Spirit just as Jesus did, and then these people went out and prayed over other people, and they got healed. Do you remember when Jesus first sent the disciples out? And he told them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and they did. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. What they had was the authority that Jesus gave unto them. Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter, (laughs) right? So, we should thank the Lord for everything. We're definitely ungrateful to Him, and we take the angels for granted, too. It says in Matthew 18 and 10, See that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. Well, wait a minute now. Their angels always behold the face of the Father. Well, aren't they guardian angels to take care of the his little ones? Yes, they are. <laughs> so it doesn't make any difference, you know. Uh, you may ask, what little ones is he is he talking about? Well, I think it's the little ones that Jesus just got through talking about, saying those who were his disciples. If you go back in verse two and four, you, two through four, the little ones were in the midst of them. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you turn and become as little children, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. So therefore, 
he wanted his great disciples to be children. And they were his children. So he's talking about his disciples being these little children. We're the little children of God. And what he was saying when he said, Their angels do always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. The angels always behold the face of the Father because they have the nature of God. I remember in Angels on Assignment how Pastor Buck said he really felt the fruit of the Spirit in these angels. He really felt the nature of God in them. The fruit of the Spirit, that's what they were full of, the fruit of the Spirit. So I've been meditating on the idea that the reason they see the face of the Lord is that they think, speak, and act godly. Not only do they have a measure of omnipresence uh, by the Holy Spirit, Paul talked about being there in the Spirit to talk to people who were a long ways from him. Uh, and uh, I guess they can't really help it because they have an advantage over us. Uh, number one, they see in the Spirit realm and know what's going on. And number two, they don't have flesh. They've been created by God to be good, and they are very familiar with God. They minister for God to man, at least we know scripturally, for 6,000 years, and none of them has ever died because there's no death in that realm. So they have to be very familiar with the Lord and His ways. And they have to represent the Lord. You know, when you send somebody, which is what an angel is, an angel is angelo in the New Testament, meaning messenger. If you're going to send somebody who will represent you, first of all, it has to be somebody that really knows you. We're ambassadors on behalf of Christ. We're supposed to represent Him, right? The angels represent Him. They're going to say what you want them to say. They're going to get across the thought and the words and everything you want to get across to that person. And uh, that's what sending the message is, right? Angels always see the face of God even while they are sent out. So the the uh, angels of the little ones could see the face of God all of the time. See? And they are perfect. If you send somebody that's imperfect, they're not going to represent you. They're going to represent they're going to represent something else, right? <laughs> so um these angels are very familiar with God. And um, that they do represent God is an ultimate kind of way because they're not subject to flesh and they're not like us who don't understand sometimes who uh, we're hearing from. And the angels always know who they're hearing from because they're in the spirit realm and they see the demons and they see what goes on in the spirit realm and they see God, and they know 
who they're hearing from. And they know uh, for whom they're speaking. They don't make any kind of mistakes that way. So, you know, in the New Testament, the word apostle means one sent forth. Well, would God send someone that didn't represent him? Well, no, there's a lot of apostles out there, obviously, but none of them are apostles almost. Uh, it's somebody who is sent by God. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and 1, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? It seems like uh, in the early church, if you were going to be an apostle or one sent forth, you had to see the Lord because he's the one that sends you, right? It happened with me that way. Um, I appeared to the Lord, well, the Lord appeared to me uh, several times and spoke to me and told me what he wanted me to do. In Acts chapter 1, when they chose somebody to replace Judas, they chose somebody who had walked with the Lord and had seen the Lord. That was the condition. They wanted somebody who had walked under the Lord's ministry and had seen the Lord. It seemed obvious from this verse that an apostle is somebody who has seen the Lord. Now, I've known some apostles, and every one of them has seen the Lord. Not necessarily physically, but in visions. He was revealed to them. Numbers 12 and 6 says, And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and I will speak with him in a dream. So it can be in different methods that he uh, meets up with them. Well, this is speaking of a prophet, but I think it's true of apostles in the New Testament. Uh, Actually, apostles in the New Testament are more closely related to the prophets in the Old Testament than the prophets in the New Testament because they prophesy in part. But the Old Testament prophets didn't prophesy in part. They prophesied perfectly, you see. So there's uh, people who have said that they are apostles, and they aren't, of course. But an apostle is one that is sent forth, and he is somebody that's seen the Lord, and the same is true of angels. So look at Genesis 32 and 24. Somebody who has seen the Lord is somebody who has come into his nature, his maturity in Scripture. Seeing God face to face is somebody who has come into his nature. The nature of the Lord is in his angels. When we hear from them, we hear from the Lord. Jesus said, He that receives you receives me. Did did you catch that? He that receives you. He was talking to his disciples. But guess what? It's the same as true of angels. When you receive an angel, you're receiving him. In other words, a disciple is somebody that has been created after the image of their Lord. And when you hear from a disciple, you're hearing from the Lord. They are a learner and a follower, a mathetes, right? Then he said, Whatsoever you do to one of my disciples, you do it unto me. Oh, so the Lord is there. Okay, 
So they represent the Lord. And an angel, in a greater way, manifestly represents the Lord because they don't have flesh and because they see in the spirit realm. And they cannot be deceived because they see all of the deception in the spirit realm, so they cannot be deceived. And they don't have flesh to filter out the truth and pervert and divert the truth. So let's look at Genesis 32 and 24. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was strained as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. (laughs) And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For thou hast striven with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Striven with God and with men. Notice that he said, striven with God. He wrestled with this man, but he said, You wrestled with God. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. It was an angel. And uh, he was looking into the face of God because the angel has the face of God. And when we look into the mirror and we see the face of Jesus, we're doing the same thing. So don't say it's not possible. It's more possible for an angel than it is for a human. Okay? Okay. Uh, Now, if you didn't have any knowledge of what the rest of the Scripture said, you'd say, well, Jacob wrestled with God. Uh, wouldn't you? (laughs) Because he saw God face to face, and this man that he wrestled with, because he calls him a man, said, you've striven with God. But let's look at another verse in Hosea 12, 3 and 4, because he didn't really wrestle physically with God. According to what Hosea said, he's talking about Jacob, and he said, in the womb... He took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel. (laughs) So you see that? Um, Since we know the Scriptures can't be wrong, he must have wrestled with an angel who most perfectly represented God. If the angel sees God face to face, What does it mean? It means he represents God. When we look in the mirror, according to 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, and we see the face of God, we come into that image. These angels are already in that image. If an angel sees God's face, it must mean his face is like like God's face. Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Does that mean he looked like the father, a 33-year-old man? <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that at all. It meant that in his nature, character, and actions and thoughts, he represented God perfectly. And what I'm seeing is that the angels see the face of the Father, which no, no, no man can do, according to the Scriptures. Jesus said in John 6 that no man has seen the face of the Father. Only he that is from God, from God, sent from God, he has seen him. Well, that would be who? Well, the angels have seen him because they were sent. <laughs> what does sent mean? They were sent from him. And Jesus has seen him. Our born-again man can see him because he's born from God, right? The flesh can't see him because the flesh is not from God, according to the Scriptures and according to what Jesus said. So what I feel the Lord is showing here is in verse 4 of Hosea 12 that he had power over the angel. And back in Genesis 32, this angel that he wrestled with obviously had the face of God and spoke most perfectly for God because if you were to wrestle with Jesus, for instance, you'd be wrestling with God, wouldn't you? And he had power with God. He had power over the angel. When do you get to have power over the angels? When you agree with God. Okay? Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, I and the Father are one. In other words, Jesus saw himself as an extension of God. Now, he wasn't talking about one physically. He was talking about one in agreement, one in nature, one in character, one in authority, because they all have the name, right? Nature, character, and authority. So, uh, because Jesus was sent by the Father. What does it mean, sent? Well, it can't be that they are one and the same, as some people say. Sent. Okay. These angels so perfectly represent the Father that they are just an extension of Him. That We're not talking physically speaking. That's not how it works in the spirit realm. So, uh, the Word of God can't be broken. So who wrestled with Jacob? It had to be an angel. And it had to be one that most perfectly represented God in that he saw, or at least he thought that he saw, God face to face. In other words, this angel would have to have the nature of God. Can we physically wrestle with God? Do you remember Yuza, who only touched the ark of his presence and died? Yeah, Second Samuel 6, 6 and 7. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Yuza put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuza, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. 
So you don't physically wrestle with God, right? So, okay, now, look at Exodus 23, 20, and 21. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee by the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Wow. Take ye heed before him, and hearken unto his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. My name is in the angel, God said. What does that mean? The word name means nature, character, and authority. His nature, his character, and his authority is in that angel. That's why you should respect the angels. So, what does the word name mean in this verse? It's God's nature, character, and authority. The word Shem in the Old Testament is the word name. Shem, of course, was the one who bore the name of the lineage, right? (laughs) So, his name means that. Uh, And in the New Testament, it's Onoma is the word for name. And it means character, authority, and nature. And he said, for my name is in him. So be careful how you deal with this angel. His nature is in that angel. They represent someone who has the nature or the name of God. And verse 22 says, But if thou shalt indeed hearken unto his, that's the angel's voice, and do all that I speak. Do you see that? Hearken unto the angel's voice and do all that I speak. Notice that you're hearkening unto the angel's voice, but you're doing what God is speaking. So the angel is doing the talking, but God is talking through him. So you see that the angels are perfect prophets, not like the prophets we got nowadays. (laughs) Uh, More like the prophets of Old Testament because they did speak in total perfection, you know, of numeric pattern, right? So I'll I'll get to that in just a little bit, but here's the, the point. These angels have the name of God in them. They have the nature of God. They have the character of God. And when they speak, they're speaking from God. But it's their voice. If you pray in tongues, you know you open your mouth and speak. But God gives the syllables, right? So, that's a similarity. Well, that's how it is with a prophet. A prophet speaks with his own voice, but he's speaking from God. And if you put aside two things, the flesh and the demon spirits, of course angels are perfect prophets because they have neither one of these. And uh, it's, it's not being spoken through the deceptions of the flesh. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's the way it is with the angels. They're full of the fruit of the Spirit. And they have the character of God. And they have the nature of God. They don't have to fear about when they act, did they make a mistake? (laughs) And so they can be uh, trusted to be, like I said, perfect prophets. 
because they're not going to be deceptive or lead you astray. Okay, now let's look at Isaiah uh, 63 and 9. The angel was the one that was going to lead them against their enemies. You know, we always thought it was just God. Well, it was just God, but it was God through his angels who led them through the wilderness to conquer their enemies. And here it says in verse 9, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence, look at that, the angel of his presence saved them. So the angel of his presence, do you mean God is present through his through an angel? Is he present through you? Does God live in you? Well, to the extent the word is in your heart and manifested out of your mind and thoughts and speech, God is in you. And uh, so that's why Jesus said 30, 60, and 100 fold. Do you mean that God is present through an angel? Certainly, Jesus said, The Father in me doeth the works. The Father in me doeth the works. He was always talking about the Father in him. God was present through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Well, God is present through the angels by the Holy Spirit. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them, and he carried them all the days of old. The angel of his presence did this. Saved them, pitied them, redeemed them, bare them. Yeah. So again, you can see it. If uh, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said, right? And in these angels, who are perfect prophets, you see God. So look in uh, Genesis twenty-two, eleven through 17. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He knows where you are, Abraham. <laughs> and he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Does he test us in this way? Yes, he does. So, now you would think, as I thought years ago, that this was God, because he spoke in the first person. But we see in verses 14 and 15, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham a second time out of heaven. Oh, so that was the angel of the Lord, because now he's doing it the second time. And he said, by myself have I sworn. Oh, now wait a minute. You'd say, that's really God, wouldn't you? But look at the next couple of words. Seth the Lord. Oh, it's being prophesied. <laughs> By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. So who does that? Who identifies the words that they say as the Lord's words? Prophets do. And why do they do it? 
so that you know the word is not coming from them, it's coming from the Lord. He made it plain. You wouldn't say this if you were speaking from yourself. You'd only say it if the words which you are speaking are coming from someone else. Okay? So he said, By myself have I sworn, says the Lord, because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thee. Thy seed, excuse me. Now I used to think years ago that the angel of the Lord was the Lord. I was very infantile at that time when I read the scriptures, and the more I saw, the more I knew, oh, this isn't fitting. <laughs> um, and I I thought the angel of the Lord was the Lord because they really fit in the description, and they spoke in the first person. But what I came to realize was that they spoke in the first person because they were perfect prophets and in perfect in communication with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit personally spoke through them. You cannot be a messenger of the Lord, which is what this translated would be, a messenger of the Lord, and be the Lord at the same time. That's schizophrenic. So, angel means messenger. If they would have translated this word, it would have meant messenger of the Lord. It's somebody who has been sent forth to speak a message. That's what a messenger is. And so, that's another way that this can be the Lord. Even though there are many verses that have caused people to believe that the angel of the Lord is the Lord. As you're seeing with your own eyes, this is not so. I remember one time my wife had a vision of an angel that appeared unto her. Hmm. And gave her a message from the Lord. And she said, quote, The Lord was speaking, but the angel was the one talking, unquote. In other words, the angel was speaking with the Lord's voice. You would think that would be very easy for an angel to do because of those two problems I mentioned to you. They don't have flesh to restrain them or to pervert them or change them. And seeing in the spirit realm, they see perfectly. So they cannot be deceived by the demon spirits. That's one of the prophet's problems is that you never know for sure whether he's speaking from the Lord or not. And that's why he tells us to judge the prophecy. He doesn't say in the New Testament to judge the prophet, but to judge the prophecy because they filter their prophecy with their flesh. And it says we prophesy in part. So therefore you have to discern and, and you do that with the scripture, right? So here is another one to look at, Ecclesiastes 5 and 6. And he's talking about promising or vowing. And he says, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? In other words, God gives authority 
to that angel. And just as uh, whatever you did to Jesus, you did it to the Father, and whatever you do to us, you do to God, and whatever you say before that angel is what you're saying to God. And he said, if you said something that was not correct to the that angel, God could destroy your works for it. So he said to be careful how you talk to that angel. And every one of us, by the way, according to Matthew 18, has our angel. At least one. Some have several, and a few have many. Who always behold the face of God. So he says, be careful what you say before that angel. Why? Because that angel has authority. And when you speak to him, you're speaking to God. For instance, go to Luke chapter 1, and I will show you that the authority that an angel has. Uh, an angel appeared to Zacharias in verse 11. Luke 1, 11. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord. Standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So now go on down, uh, since you, you know that it's an angel of the Lord, to verse 18. Zacharias questioned the promise that the Lord gave him through the angel of the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I'm Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak unto thee and to bring thee these good tidings. In other words, you should respect me. <laughs> well, notice that Gabriel stood in the presence of God while he spoke to Zacharias. Hmm. And behold, thou shalt be silent and not able to speak until the day that these things shall come to pass, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Well, notice that Gabriel said, My words. But it was serious, because they were also God's words. So you see, we need to respect the angels. And Gabriel is a messenger angel, right? So, Zacharias was struck speechless by this authority that was in the Lord's angel, because this was Gabriel, whom he was calling the angel of the Lord, right? Not the, <clears throat> not the Lord, but an angel of the Lord. And Gabriel had uh, instant authority here to speak a judgment upon Zacharias. And the judgment was that he was not going to be able to speak. So I felt like the Lord told me that the reason that he was struck dumb was that because of his unbelief, he would have spoken against the promise. You don't want to speak against what God says. You will ruin your works. You will ruin what God wants to do for you and through you. You will ruin it. You're speaking against it. You have not faith. So speaking against the promise is what God called God. What causes God to destroy your works? You have to agree with the Word of God, which is spoken to us through angels. And if you go to chapter 
Luke chapter 12, it says uh, in verse 8, Everyone who shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. So, how awesome are we discovering these angels are? So we see that what we're supposed to be saying before these angels is what Jesus has spoken because of the word, confess, which is homo legeo, which means to speak the same as. We're supposed to agree with God before these angels. We're supposed to agree with his word, his messages that are sent to us. We're supposed to agree with them. And when we speak what God speaks, and agree with what God says before these angels, then Jesus is going to confess us before those angels. But he who denies me in the presence of men shall be denied in the presence of the angels of God. So these angels have authority, and it's given to them by the Lord, Jesus Christ. And when we speak in agreement with the word, this comes to pass. And we saw that a while back in Genesis 28, Jacob had uh, an instance of being confronted by angels in verse 12. And when he dreamed that he saw a ladder that reached up from the earth to heaven, and God was at the top of the ladder. (laughs) And up and down the ladder, angels were ascending and descending. In other words, between us and God... Uh, the angels administer, right? And Jesus gave us a revelation of that when he said, uh, you shall see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So Jesus is the ladder that enables the angels to minister to us, and that ladder only works when we confess his name. If we confess him before men, the angels are enabled to minister to us and to bless us. And as we saw from Psalm 103 and 20, they are the ones who fulfill the word of God. They are the ones that do the works of God according to Psalm 103 and 2. Far more than we realize. I'm convinced that Many Christians believe that the Holy Spirit just supernaturally materializes things, and I think far more than we realize the Holy Spirit does do that, but he does it through the angels. The angels are the ones, according to Hebrews 1 and 14, who are sent forth to serve and to do service for them that are heirs of salvation. They are more than anything the vessel that the Holy Spirit uses to save, to deliver, to heal, etc. Okay. And for instance, in Exodus chapter 3, there was the story of the burning bush. Let's look at that. Moses came to the mountain of God in verse 1, and in Exodus 3 and 2, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now, most everybody 
believes that this angel of the Lord had to be God speaking to Moses out of the midst of that burning bush. And if you don't believe it, just watch the Ten Commandments. (laughs) But we have an instance where it says the angel of the Lord or messenger of the Lord recounted uh, this in Acts 7. The reason I'm pointing this out is because you wouldn't think much of it if that was God speaking out of the midst of the bush and performing miracles. But if that was an angel, it would change your whole idea of angels, wouldn't it? In Acts 7 and 30, And when forty years were fulfilled, an angel, an angel. Notice it just says an angel. And some versions say of the Lord, but there's no numeric pattern in it. It's not necessary. So, An angel appeared to Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. It was an angel. No particular angel, but it appeared in that bush and spoke to Moses in the first person. He spoke the word of the Lord to Moses as though he was God. And verse 35 says, This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? Him hath God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer, with the hand of the angel that appeared unto him in the bush. And verse 38, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel that spoke to him in Mount Sinai. And with our fathers who receive living oracles to give unto us. So who was it that gave Moses those oracles? Who was it that spoke to him? It says here it was an angel. Well, we know. And if you watched the Ten Commandments, <laughs> that it was God, right? He had that booming voice, right? Uh, well, it was God who spoke to him. And uh, what I'm saying is, yes, that is true. It was God that spoke, but he spoke through an angel, just like he speaks through a prophet. And uh, you, in verse 53, it says, You who received the law as it was ordained by angels and kept it not. You see? As it was ordained by angels, it is surprising the way an angel could speak to Moses in the wilderness, and Moses received it as God. Um, Of course, some people probably wouldn't agree with me, but you have to accept all of the scriptures, not just part of them. You can't just make up your mind by picking and choosing scripture. It's line upon line, here a little and there a little, that you receive the truth. But this was both an angel and it was God. Again, these angels for 6,000 years have been speaking for God to man and have been acting for God to man because the angels went up and down on the ladder. And angels couldn't possibly be serving God for that long without knowing Him perfectly. They are extremely intelligent. (laughs) Uh, 
A husband and wife that have been together for a few years begin to predict what one another is going to do and to say even. And uh, here are angels who perfectly know God that are able to speak for him and have authority. Uh, the devil has angels. They're demons. Uh, and they're familiar spirits. They're familiar with the person that they are trying to uh, uh, be, an, be an imposter for. Okay? And if the name of God is within the angels, then they have authority to speak for God. In fact, many times, I'm convinced people who say, the Lord said this and the Lord said that, they're right. But it was an angel that spoke to them uh, many times in, in that way. So look at Joshua 5 and 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. But as prince of the host of the Lord am I now come. <laughs> and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the prince of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Put off thy shoe from off of thy foot, for, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Ah, so it was uh, the Lord of hosts. If it was the Lord of hosts, it would have said Jehovah of hosts. But it didn't say that. Jehovah of hosts is the Lord of hosts. But this is the prince of the Lord, is one who rules over his hosts of angels. Okay? So now you'd say, well, that would have to be the Lord. But in Exodus chapter 3, where an angel spoke out of the bush, he said the same thing. This is such a holy place, you'd better take off your shoes so you're not separated from holiness. That's the meaning of it. you know that? Why does he tell them to take off, the, off their shoes? Because they're in a holy place. Because he doesn't want them to be separated from holiness. You have to be holy to stand before God. That's why he said, take off your shoes. So your, your, your feet can touch the holiness. You are walking holy. And you will be holy and acceptable to God. Earthly ground, you're supposed to have shoes on so that you're separated from the dirt of this world, right? God rebuked the shepherds because the pastors broke the sheep's, sheep's hooves from off of them. On holy ground, you're supposed to have your shoes on off, uh, but because God doesn't want you separated from holy ground. But on earthly ground, you're supposed to have your shoes on because God wants you separated from this world to be sanctified which is separated, of this world. And I remember reading Angels on Assignment about this particular prince of the hosts of the Lord, and one of the angels that visited Pastor Buck, his name was Coroni. And Coroni said that he was the one who appeared unto Joshua. 
So there are more than one prince of the hosts, right? In uh, Exodus chapter 3, the same thing was said by that angel. The scripture said it was an angel. The same thing was said by that angel. Take your shoe off your foot. This is holy ground. Stand on this holy ground. Right? That's what he was saying. And another instance is Zechariah chapter 1 where we can clearly see the prophetic nature of angels. Also, reading angels on assignment in Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, the angel of the Lord. And there, Gabriel spoke to Pastor Buck, and he told him that he was that angel of the Lord, that angel of the Lord. So you see, And now we read in Luke chapter 1 where Gabriel was that angel of the Lord over there. And some people think that the angel of the Lord must be one person. No, it's not. We just saw that it wasn't. It's not really meaning that. And and this is not a title. It just happens to be the angel of the Lord that was there. The angel that spoke for the Lord in that place. It's not the angel of the Lord as a title. So it's a messenger of the Lord. That's all. And so in verse 12 it says, Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts. So that proves he's not the Lord of hosts. Ah. Because he is the angel speaking to the Lord of hosts. And how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation these threescore and ten years? And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words, even comfortable words. So the angel that talked with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. So here you have an angel speaking prophetically for the Lord and speaking through this man with the voice of the Lord. This angel is instructing this man as a prophet to say, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am very sore displeased with the nations that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. So we have the angel of the Lord speaking with a thus saith the Lord in a prophetic term. I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth over Jerusalem. Cry yet again, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities shall yet overflow with prosperity, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. So here we have an angel who in the book Angels on Assignment said he was Gabriel. He was speaking in the first person to a man and telling him to speak in the name of the Lord. In verse 12, the angel of the Lord is speaking to the Lord. The Lord there, the word, 
Lord is Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, and it is his personal name. So the angel of the Lord is speaking to the Lord of hosts in verse 12, proving that the angel of the Lord is not the Lord, but a messenger of the Lord. Back when I was believing that the angel of the Lord was the Lord, because there were so many verses, several witnesses came to me against that theology, and I rejected them at first. And one of those that I read was uh, Kenneth Hagin's testimony that the Lord appeared to him. And someone behind the Lord appeared to him when he was believing that the angel of the Lord was the Lord. And when he asked the Lord, Lord, who is this that is with you? He said, that's the angel of the Lord. <laughs> and when I read that, I said, hmm, something's wrong here, you know. I've, I've already read too much about the angel of the Lord to not believe it's the Lord. Because it was so plain to me that the angel of the Lord was the Lord. But Kenneth Hagin's book said that the Lord's the Lord straightened him out by saying, that's the angel of the Lord. Oh, glory be to God. Ain't God good? So now, do you respect the angels? Wow. I say, we better respect the angels. We better respect them because the nature, character, and authority of the Lord is in them. Like he said, like the Lord said, my name is in him. And that means nature, character, and authority. So, <laughs> we need to respect them. Yes. And uh, no, we don't bow to them because um, they are messengers of the Lord. And uh, we don't praise them because they are messengers of the Lord, and they give all authority and all uh, rights, all bragging rights to the Lord, okay? And they don't want you to do anything to give worship or praise to them. And uh, you don't even have to give them thanks, but um, because we thank the Lord for everything. God created the angels to be his servants, and they serve him perfectly. They do a great job because God don't make no junk. Have you ever heard that? He don't make no junk. <laughs> so let him make you, right? Uh, well, Father, thank you so much, Lord, uh, for helping us to respect the angels. How we've been ministered to by the angels so often. You know, I've, I've said before that the Lord showed me three times in a row in a vision in my mind that I was on my motorcycle and as I, I was about to hit this car. And uh, in that vision in my mind, I stood up on my motorcycle, which is very uncommon. Usually people try to lay the bike down if they're about to hit something solid, they try to let, lay the bike down and dig in, you know. But uh, I, I was programmed by this vision in my mind. And it wasn't a real strong vision, but I could see it. 
And in other words, the Lord wanted me to respect it, you know. And so one day I was going to work, and I had just reached the bottom of a large overpass. And um, the a car, uh, I was in the right three lanes on this overpass, and uh, going all in the same direction. And uh, the car in the middle lane, I was on the inside lane, the car in the middle lane, suddenly put on his brakes at the bottom of that overpass, and I saw his left front tire smoke. And it turned the car sideways immediately. And here I was facing this car that was sliding up this overpass as I was going up this overpass. And uh, when I saw that, uh, it covered up two lanes, so I knew I was going to hit the car. And the, lo and behold, what the Lord had put in my mind through that vision was to stand up on my bike. And if I hadn't done that, I would be dead. Because I hit him at a pretty fast clip, you know. Uh, so, when I hit him, I flew over his windshield and the hood. Uh, I had actually, I would, I buried the bike up in the place just behind the front wheel. And, um, and so I was standing, so I flew off of my bike. And I landed up on the overpass. And uh, I wish I'd had a picture of that in one of my evil Knievel days. Um, but um, I landed up on the overpass. And the first thing I did was I thought uh, there may be cars coming. So I, I rolled over. I couldn't see. I was blind. Uh, my head hit the concrete. Uh, and when you're flying that far and your head hits the concrete, you don't have a head, you know. <laughs> Who did that? Who did that? Who who was trying to preserve me for some time later, okay? So I landed on the concrete. I thought, I better roll out of the road. So I rolled until I, I felt the uh, overpass uh, abutment, you know, that the curb that goes over the, the overpass. And I rolled up next to that. And I was still blind. And uh, a policeman walked up to me after I laid there for a few minutes. And he said to me, did you have your seatbelt on? And I was just beginning to see, just beginning to get my sight back. I was trying to look at his face and see if he was serious. Um, and it appeared that he was. And I said, I hadn't lost my mind. I said, uh, seat, uh, motorcycles don't have seat belts. And he just kind of looked funny at me, and he turned around and walked back down the ramp, you know. Um, when I hit the ground, I started worshiping and praising God. <laughs> it was like uh, he was all over me, all over me. Well, it may have been an angel, but I don't know. <laughs> It was just like I just was worshiping and praising God, even raising my one good arm. The other one was broken. <laughs> so uh, 
Anyway, an ambulance showed up, and they picked me up, put me in the ambulance, said, well, which hospital do you want to go to? I said, I don't want to go to a hospital. I want to go home. Can you take me home? I said, no, we can't do that. I said, well, I don't care then. So they took me to a hospital and um, put me in the emergency room. And, um, well, they examined my arm, and it was broken, and... uh, for having hit on your face without a helmet on, after flying that far, uh, I was amazingly in good shape. I mean, it cut my lip in two just above my, my, um, my teeth, my top lip in two, and, uh, it cut into my chin, uh, a little bit, and, uh, so, Anyway, the doctor said, well, we, we, we've got to um, put a cast on your arm. Your arm's broken. I said, doctor, I don't want to do that. I said, I'm not going to do that. Um, the Lord's been healing me, and I don't have um, however long it takes, you know, for for this to heal. And um, so he said, well, uh, can I uh, sew up your lip? I said, no. I don't want you to do that either. I'd had the Lord's toe up, sew up my boys before. You know, the Lord did it. So about that time, my wife was walking through the door. <laughs> and she said, oh, David, please, I don't want to look at that. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll do it for you. So so I did. I let them stitch up my chin and my lip. I still had my arm that was broken, you know. And um, so... Um, and they put me in the car because I was stretched out. Um, uh, one shoe was by the my motorcycle, and the other shoe was on my foot on top of the overpass. And the one that was laying by the motorcycle was my right leg, which was so stretched out I just couldn't use it. And what I believe happened is my shoe hung on the handlebar as I flew by. And it snatched the shoe off. Either that or I was hit so hard it just knocked me out of my shoes. Knocked my socks off, as some people say. No, I don't think so. But anyway, um, so I was stretched out. So they picked me up and put me in a wheelchair and wheeled me over and put me in the car. And put me in, and I went home w- with my wife. Uh, my bike was crumpled. The front wheel was crumpled up into the engine of the bike and um surprisingly most of the rest of the bike was fine but you know it has a mag wheel and mags take a lot it was amazed i was amazed what they'll take so i ended up fixing the bike actually and um taking the wheel off i was a machinist so i took it and put it on a lathe and straightened it out in the lathe <laughs> so anyway but my neighbor picked me up when I got home and brought me in the house. And, um, you know, there just was no way an angel wasn't with me at that time. Uh, my face would have been a mess. It was, he only permitted enough to let people know that yes, he did fly over that car and land up on that interstate. <laughs> and, uh, um, and the broken arm, of course. And uh, so as soon as I could get up and start walking, 
which was, I think, the next day I started walking on that leg. It was painful, but I did it. I walked around my neighbor's house and back towards my house, and I saw a log laying on the ground. I'm, I'm making this short. And I thought, I'd like to take that log and throw it on the fire because we were burning off this lot, you know, burning the wood and stuff. And so the thought came to me, well, if you, you pick that log up, your arm's going to be laying on the ground because the bone is broke. You know, and uh, but then the thought came to me, and I knew it was the Lord, and it was. But if your arm is healed, you can pick that up, and I did pick it up, and it was healed instantly. Praise be to God, it was healed instantly. So, uh, make a long story short, again, uh, I I went back to work. And um, they sent me to the infirmary because um, they heard what happened. So I went to the infirmary, and I told the doctor, Doctor, I'd, I'd like to go back to work. He said, you can't go back to work. It takes, what, 12 weeks for a break like that to heal? I think he said 12 weeks. I said, I don't have 12 weeks, and I'm healed. He said, well... You go, you go, uh, take this x ray because they had an x ray machine there and everything, you know. I said, Doctor, <clears throat> could I do this if my arm was broken? And I did a little calisthenic there in front of him, you know. He said, You go take that x ray. I said, Doctor, uh, what religion are you? I think he said, Episcopalian. I said, don't you Episcopalians believe that God can heal? He said, yes, but we believe he uses doctors. I said, well, he didn't do it this time. He didn't use a doctor this time. He said, go take the x-ray. I said, okay. (laughs) I was confusing his theology. I took the x-ray, came back and sat in the bench outside waiting for him to look at it. nurse came by me with the x-ray, went in there, and he shoved it up on the board. He said, I heard him say it. He said, I was still sitting out there on the bench. He said, there's something wrong with this. They they had to have taken this in the wrong direction. What's wrong? I said, no, doctor. <laughs> there's nothing wrong. The Lord healed me. Well, to make a long story short again, he finally had to write me a slip that I could go back to work, and I did go back to work. And I had a most strenuous job when I got back to work. I was working on the top of a cooling tower with this guy that I usually worked with. And we were working on, there was a cone, there's a cone on the top of these cooling towers that has a huge fan on the inside of it that lifts the air through the water as it falls down through the cooling tower in order to cool the water. And there's a gearbox in there and a shaft, a drive shaft, and it goes to a, a, a motor and a gearbox. And um, so uh, what we had, what my friend had just done is set the uh, gearbox uh, down in the cooling tower and put the fan on it. And now we were putting the cables that go across the top of the cone 
which is a fiberglass cone that goes around the uh, the gearbox and fan. And um, we were setting, uh, he set the gearbox in there the day before, and I was up there with him with these cables. The, the cables have a hub, which cables go out from this hub to the fiberglass cone in order to stabilize the cone so that it doesn't crack and break and fall to pieces. And so you, you start with one cable, and you go across, all the way across, with the other side cable, and you go through the outside, you put the bolts on, and then you work your way around the thing, pulling the cable as much as you can to put a nut on it as it sticks through the side of the tower. So you had to reach out an arm and grab that cable and pull that thing through there enough to get the nut started. And by the time you got around to the other side, it got more, it got harder and harder to do. Because you're pulling against this thick fiberglass cone. So uh, my friend Melvin got tired. I said, get out the way, Melvin. I'll handle that. He said, you sure? I said, I'm sure. I can handle this. (laughs) He said, you sure your arm was broken? I said, I'm absolutely sure. Got the x-ray to prove it. (laughs) Um, so I reached out and pulled those cables in and I finished that up pulling with my arm. So he put the nut on. He started the nut on the outside. So he was amazed. And this guy was converted through my testimonies. That being one of them, he was converted and came to the Lord. And, um, because he kind of knew a miracle working God through me. And he saw us heal pumps together, praying over pumps, commanded them to be healed in the name of Jesus, and they'd get healed. Commanded different things to happen, and they happened. You know? And he was impressed with God. He had been a Baptist, but he was impressed with God now, so he couldn't be a Baptist any longer. He had to believe in miracles. Oh, thank you, Father. You're so good to us, and and you do so much, and you prepare everything for us, including that overpass, through your angels. And an angel was with me when I missed that car, flew over it, landed on the overpass, and I would have had at least a broken neck and a smashed head. Um, (laughs) It was like an arrow hitting the ground almost at an angle. But God is good, and God has angels to take care of us. He'll make sure we make it there on time. You know, those angels were taking me through this very wild uh, time of life for me, and they kept me and brought me to be where I am today. Praise be to God. Thank you, Father, for your angels. Thank you, Father, you ordained and and, uh, created them to do this job, and they do it perfectly. Amen. All right. God bless you, saints. Thank you so much for joining us today. So respect the angels. Bye. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. 
Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will Shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you, I find mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers I still believe, for your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe, for your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, my Lord Jesus. 